the big, probably one of the biggest lessons besides for finding mentors is this is a long-term, right? You have to have a long-term outlook, right? Do not think about something, getting a quick fix, uh, focus on the long-term focus on building relationships because real estate, like many businesses, but real estate specifically is a people business and it's a relationship-based business. And so building that strong network is going to actually get you much further. And, you know, things could take, you know, two, three, five, ten 10 years. Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Appleman, founder and CEO of Appleman Properties. Today, we're joined with Yona Weiss. Yona is a business director at Madison Specs and is a powerhouse of property owners helping clients save hundreds of millions in taxes through cost segregation. Yona is a real estate investor and top podcast host. His passion lies in helping others. Yona, we're, we're happy to have you here today. If you could let the audience know a little bit more about yourself. I am grateful to be here, Josh. I'm really excited. Actually, we just had you on my podcast and I was uh, just noticing it's coming live next week. So I'm excited awesome. about that episode. Uh, as you mentioned, I am a cost segregation expert. I spent about 15 years as a teacher. And so my background, like it, you know, is in teaching, as you mentioned in the intro there as well. Uh, but got into real estate about eight years ago. I've done various things for ranging from, you know, residential brokerage to hard money lending to uh, commercial mortgage brokering to, um, you know, just really a lot of different things, networking a ton, and eventually, you know, kind of led to finding this company, Madison Specs, which is the biggest national conservation company, and took a role as, you know, kind of a business development uh, director, just helping, you know, grow the business, which thank God, you know, we've done tremendously well over the past six years, have grown it uh, now, like I said, biggest national company. And, I'd love to do a podcast. So I'd love to have kind of this medium of just educating people about this subject and, um, you know, go from there. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Cost segregation is kind of a, it's, it's a hidden gem because if, if um, you're a beginner getting into real estate and trying to connect the dots on, on what to do and, and what makes sense, it's um, you come across this name called cost segregation or, and it, can you just let everyone know exactly what it is and how it applies to real estate? Yeah, it's a really weird name that uh, the IRS gave for a tax deduction. So it's, think about it like this, you know, anytime that you buy a property, besides for your primary residence, if it is a business or rental property, you're able to take this deduction called depreciation. So just taking a step back before we understand cost segregation, because it's just an advanced form of depreciation. And so depreciation says and by the way, I love your brick wall of the matching brick walls over here. I got, I got a cactus too, maybe, you know, think about thinking about getting a plant in here. It's, it's um, a little thanks. <laughs> um, but, you know, when you have this depreciation, people think that it's, you know, it's um, you know, a, a bad thing, right? Oh, my property's going down in value. Why do I want that? But it's really just a borrowed term, okay? It doesn't mean that your property is actually going down in value. It just means the IRS is going to give you a deduction as if your property is going down in value each year. And so it's spread out over a 27 and a half year period uh, for residential multifamily properties or for commercial properties over a 39 year period. Essentially, you're able to take your purchase price, subtract a small amount for land, which does not depreciate. And then, like I said, take this deduction over this long period of time. Comes cost segregation and says, wait a second, that's a long time to wait, right? To take all those deductions. I want more. What if there's a way to get more upfront, more now? Because you know, we're we're in the generation where we're like, I need you know immediate 
gratification, right? I need, I want my money, want those deductions as soon as I can. And so that's what consegregation does by breaking down the property into its components, showing that certain components actually depreciate faster than others. That's where we're, we're going to do consegregation is breaking down those, taking those faster deductions up front. And then we're able to, um, like I said, get bigger tax deductions, lowering your income tax liability, which everyone loves, right? Who, who likes to pay taxes? I don't think anyone. So we want to make sure to reduce our tax liability. That's going to increase our cash flow and uh, everyone's going to be happy. Yeah. And the, the studies that you all produce, they're, they're extremely detailed and um, they go down to, to just anything that, that's able to be depreciated. It's, it's on there and it gives you a schedule of, of, of how much you can take and at what time period. And um, and really, a lot of these things are missed by your your CPA or even yourself right. if you don't have have it professionally done with a, a company. Doesn't the IRS they require you all an actual cost segregation study from a firm like you all? Is that that's correct? So they have rules, they have guidelines. In fact, there's there's five different ways the IRS says you can do what's called a consideration study. But the most recognized and the highest form, which is called the quality consideration study, must be done by a third party like engineering firm like ours. Yeah, and that the cost of of having it done um, way out, outweighs the amount of money that you can save on taxes in, uh, in just taking the uh, the depreciation. So it's it's definitely well worth it. What are the uh, the key components and assets that you would typically find in these studies? So what we're doing is, like I said, breaking down the property into its components. And finally, you know, it used to be called component depreciation, which makes a lot more sense than cost segregation, right? We're segregating the cost of the property into different categories, into different buckets. It's usually in four different buckets, okay? So we talk about land is the first thing that does not depreciate. So you always have to find what the land value is, okay? And that can be found on your county assessor's website, if you have an appraisal or anything like that. You find that it's typically around 15, 20%. That's the national average. The second main component is the structure. The structure of the building is really the only thing that depreciates on that longer 27 and a half and 39 year schedule. And that's things like the doors, windows, walls, roof, foundation, you know, main structure. And the main two things that we're breaking out from that structure with cost irrigation is what's called five year and 15 year property. Okay, so five year includes personal property. This can be anything that's non-structural, they call it tangible property as well, but it can be even things like, you know, furniture, appliances, things that are actually removable, but other things as well, like cabinets or countertops, flooring, wall coverings, you know, window treatments, any types of fixtures, anything like that, all of that actually has value. And when you break it down, it actually adds up to quite a bit. You know, we're talking like 20 or 30% of the total value of the property can be found in these, uh, in this five-year category. So that's a huge one. And then the second one, like I said, uh, that we're breaking out with the conservation is 15 year. That's called land improvements. And this can be, you know, landscaping, pavement. So you think, okay, the land doesn't depreciate, but what's on top of the land does. And so you have pavement, you have, maybe you have a, an apartment building, right? You're going to have a parking lot, all the concrete there, the, the bollards, the, you know, even the lines that's painted on can be depreciated because there's value that went into that. Um, you know, fencing, if you have a swimming pool, all that goes in there. So there's a lot that goes into the 15 year category as well. You just mentioned the, uh, the parking lot lines. That's, uh, that's awesome. I have, <laughs> I have not uh, thought about that one, but that makes total sense. You know, like, it's like little things like that. They add up, you know, like the mailboxes or like, you know, you have like a handicapped uh, sign on a pole, you know, yeah. it may not cost a lot, but every little thing adds up and yeah. that's where you're going to get uh, those deductions. That's the pickles and cheese. <laughs> it, all, it all goes into it. 
what are the uh, the p- potential risks or downsides uh, downsides of uh, of uh, utilizing cost segregation? So there's always going to be a downside to anything you do, any type of tax strategy, right? There's always a balance. And so you yeah. want to make sure that, first of all, you understand this. Second of all, you have a CPA that understands this, that can advise you properly, because this is not going to be for everyone. And I think the biggest downside for a lot of people is, well, first of all, if you don't have the need or can't use these extra deductions, then there's no point whatsoever in getting a consideration done if you can't actually use those deductions. Now, the, the main downside people look at is when you go to sell a property, you're going to be faced with what's called recapture tax. Now, depreciation recapture tax is not as scary as it sounds, and it's definitely not how people, some people like to, uh, like to frame it that you recapture that depreciation. Well, that's kind of a misnomer. It's, it's really misleading thing. Recapturing the depreciation sounds like I have to pay it all back, right? You take these deductions, now I'm paying it back. So what's the point, right? And I've actually yeah. seen this on like Bigger Pockets forum. Like people actually say that, like there's no point doing it because you have to pay it all back. That's simply wrong. Okay, so let's understand recapture tax, which again is probably one of the biggest downsides people look at when weighing their options to do consideration or not. Recapture tax means that when you sell a property, not only do you have capital gain tax on the sale, you know, the amount of profit that you made, but also you're going to be subject to paying a tax based on the amount of depreciation taken. So that tax rate actually varies and is always uh, a capital, capital right, bold, <laughs> caps on, always going to be less than if you just paid the tax by not doing the cost variation and paying that income tax up front. So it always pays to do the, the cost segregation if, the, if your only thing of weighing that is the recapture tax, because you're all, the tax on the end is always going to be less, number one, because you have that arbitrage of difference of tax rate. Number two, the time value of money, right? Of not only because of inflation, right? In five years, who knows how much that money is going to be worth, right? But at the same time, the opportunity cost and the ability to use that cash flow to reinvest. And like we started off saying, this is a strategy. People use cost segregation to have more cash flow to reinvest that money. And I think you know how to use your money better than the IRS does. So, you know, why not take those deductions and actually just use it? No, that's, that's perfect. That's, um, that makes total sense. Take advantage of it now instead of waiting for later. And then, yeah, it's not a bad thing. If you sell the property and you've, you've made your gains, then you know, it just it goes down the line. Uh, so say that I'm a, I, I'm a limited partner, I'm invested into a, um, a apartment syndication deal. How does the, uh, how does that cost segregation work down the line from the deal? So typically speaking, anytime that, uh, you know, you're, it, it does depend a little bit. So I'm not going to say it's always this case, but typically speaking, you as a passive investor, as a limited partner own a portion of the property. So you have an equity stake in that property. That means that you are going to receive a certain portion of that depreciation of the total depreciation. So depending on how much uh, depreciation is actually given over that based on your percent of your ownership, you're going to get that. So how do you get that? You, you have a tax document called the K-1 and that's going to show your profit and losses and depreciation is considered a loss, meaning it's considered a deduction that can potentially, and in most cases, it's actually going to be greater than the actual income that you're making on the property. Well, I just had a question come in. It was sent to me. Uh, can cost segregation be applied to older properties or is it only beneficial for new acquisitions? It can be done 
on any property. So yes, you can do this on older properties as well. It does not need to be done on uh, on just a brand new property. In fact, you can do this going back retroactively on, on a property you've owned for many years and you do not need to amend your tax returns. So that's the really important point here. You just file a form called the, um, it's called a 3115, a change of accounting method. And that allows you to catch up whatever depreciation that was missed. Got it. Okay, cool. Um, so there is accelerated depreciation. Can you touch on, and there was bonus, well, there still is bonus depreciation accelerated. Can you touch on those two notes for us? Yeah. So what we talk about cost segregation is, you know, another form of that, right. It's just called accelerated depreciation. Okay. Bonus depreciation was a law came about a few years ago with the tax cuts and jobs act. And basically said, once you've done a cost segregation study and have allocated, you know, the five-year, the 15-year property, you have the ability to take those deductions, those accelerated deductions upfront. So instead of waiting to get it done, uh, and wait and taking those deductions, you know, a little bit every single year, and even accelerating it and spreading it over a five-year or 15-year period, which is great, right? Bonus depreciation said you can take 100% of those deductions in the first year. Now, it was 100% up until 2022. Now, you can still get that done for property purchased between 2018 and 2022. You can still claim 100% bonus depreciation, even if, like going back to our previous question, if you didn't get it done in the first year, let's say you're filing your 2023 taxes and you didn't take bonus depreciation, you can still claim 100% bonus depreciation, even though in 2023, it's gone down to 80%. So that means that any property bought in 2023, right? Not based on the tax filing date, but based on when the property was purchased and placed in service, that's when you can now claim only 80%. That means only 80% of those accelerated deductions can be taken in the first year. It might be helpful, and I'm happy to do this if you want, uh, to kind of like just illustrate this with some real numbers, just so people kind of understand the impact of, of what we're talking about here. For sure. Well, that was actually one of the questions I had. If you could give like a, a recent success story of of um, the, kind of, the kind of savings that, that someone can expect. Okay, yeah. I mean, definitely there's millions of success stories, right? Yeah. <laughs> Exaggerating millions, but definitely, you know, tens of thousands. Oh, yeah. Um, the main the main thing you have to understand is what we're doing is again we're accelerating depreciation so we are taking bigger deductions up front so you have to first understand what the difference is right between just taking your straight line small amount of depreciation versus taking these bigger deductions and the way that we do that is we always run a free upfront uh, study so that's something you know anyone can do anyone can can reach out and get a free upfront analysis and that will just show you the difference between um, that. So let's say you bought a property for a million dollars. Okay. Now you always have to allocate a certain amount for land. As we mentioned, let's say it's 15%, which is pretty average. $850,000. That's going to be your tax basis. That's the amount that you can totally depreciate. Now, again, this is really important to note. It's not based on the appraised value. Okay. And it's not based on, you know, what, uh, what the property was worth a long time ago, because depreciation starts over for the new owner. And this is something a lot of people also don't understand is that, well, the pre property was built in 1942. And so it's already been depreciated, right? No, this is, again, remember, it's a borrowed term. It's just, it's based on your purchase price, you as the owner. So you get to start that 27 and a half year schedule over. So if you bought this property for a million dollars, going back to our example, 850,000, you can depreciate. If you spread that over 27 and a half years, that's approximately $30,000 a year. Okay. 
That means you can take, I know some people like to just use the easier example of, you know, $2.75 million property, $100,000 deduction a year, but you get the same, the same idea, right? We're dividing that by 27 and a half. And we're taking a deduction, $30,000 a year. That is going to you know, be great because if whatever money you're making, that's going to reduce your tax liability. And oftentimes, even on residential properties, on single families, for example, after all the other deductions, if you have a mortgage, interest, et cetera, deductions, you're going to end up with probably very little taxable income from your properties. So depreciation in of itself is great. Where cost segregation really makes sense is where you can then use these deductions against other sources of income, not just from that one property, but from other, other properties or other sources of income. Conservation, like I said, can get you sometimes 25, 30%. Let's just take it simple, 25% of that tax, right? The amount, the 850,000, you can take as bonus depreciation in those five, fast, faster five and 15 year categories. So what's 25% of 850,000? Quick math, anyone? <laughs> I get a calculator. So it's, it's 212,500. Okay. So we're getting 212,500. And if we're taking hundred percent bonus depreciation, that means instead of a $30,000 deduction this year, you're getting a $212,000 deduction this year. And that's pretty, pretty that's straightforward. Massive. And again, multiply that by whatever your property amount is. You buy yeah. a $10 million property. I mean, that's just, it's a huge amount. And that's, um, that's just until you've exhausted the depreciation, correct? Correct. Meaning what we're doing, we're not creating new deductions. We are just right front loading deductions. So we're taking yeah. more depreciation upfront. Okay. I had another question come in. So if, um, how does it help me if I have a W-2 income? Excellent question. So it helps. There are different ways that it helps. So if you have a W-2, typically speaking, and let's back up for a second, depreciation um, is considered a passive deduction. And therefore your, um, real estate income is treated differently than your W-2 income, okay? So typically speaking, real estate is considered passive income, not typically all the time, and is on your Schedule E different than your W-2. Depreciation can only be used to offset your passive income, your Schedule E income. So if you are a W-2 earner, conservation is usually not going to help you. There are a couple exceptions, and I'm going to mention the most notable exceptions to this, because your question was, how can this help me if I'm a W-2? So most cases, it can't, right? Because it's not going to help you reduce your W-2 income. It's going to help reduce any tax one coming out from your properties or any passive gain that you have from the sale of other properties as well. So that in itself is a huge benefit. The two most notable exceptions to this rule is what's called the real estate professional status, okay? Real estate professional status says that either you or your spouse, and so this is a great opportunity if you are high W-2 and your spouse could be a real estate professional, you're able to use cost segregation or depreciation against your active or your W-2 income as well. So you cannot be a real estate professional and also have a W-2. It's virtually impossible. However, you can have your spouse be a W-2. Okay. So, well, excuse me. Um, if you again, a real estate professional, you no longer have that limitation. Um, the second and to be a real estate professional, excuse me, is um, there are certain rules. So it's not like you need a license or you don't need to get, you know, a broker's license or anything like that to qualify. It's just a number of hours spent. Yeah. So the IRS looks at how much time you're spending. Is this your main occupation in buying, selling, right? Brokering, um, if it's involved in renovations and management, operations, et cetera, anything that's involved in rental properties. That's called a real estate professional. You don't have that limitation. 
The second most notable thing, and this is probably the thing that I see most people with W-2s taking advantage of, is a special rule with regard to short-term rentals. Now, it may not be, you know, your best idea. <coughs> Sorry, I should probably get a drink of water, but that's okay. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll struggle through this cough. Um, anyways, the short-term rentals may not be the best business plan that you want to go through, but you have to understand this is a huge benefit because this is an exception to the rule. It's basically like a loophole, right? It's in the tax code, but it's really something that I, I don't really know why it's in the tax code, right? If you own a short-term rental in Airbnb and you self-manage it, and the second condition is it needs to be the average stay of less than seven days. So not a midterm rental, real short-term rental. Then, and you self-manage and you do what's called material participation, which is 100 hours a year and more time than anyone else, that means that you can now take those cost segregation deductions against your active income, against your W-2. So you don't need to be a real estate professional. You don't need to spend you know, all day doing that. Your spouse doesn't. All you need to do is have one Airbnb, one short-term rental. Now, again, it may not be the best business uh, plan that you want to do is spending time managing a, a short-term rental, but you asked, the question was, what can happen yeah. to W-2 benefit? This is the number one way that a W-2 owner can benefit. That's a uh, that's an awesome strategy and a hack that you just mentioned because that, that gets you into a professional status where then you can offset your depreciation on your W-2 income. So it's 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 a loophole. It's a legal loophole. It's in the tax code. And um, a lot of people might already be doing that and not even realize that that's, that's able to be done. That's cool. That's um, different. How um how does one choose a cost segregation uh, firm? What, what what are things that that we need to look out for? I know we've got uh, Madison Specs, but what are some things that Madison does that maybe others don't? Since you're in the industry, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's there are many cost segregation companies out there. I think the most important thing people want to I mean, people want to know. Okay, this is a tax related thing. Is this going to open up me to an audit? Right. The answer is no, but if a person's ever audited, you want to make sure that it does hold up because the worst thing that could happen is having to pay back, right? All these huge deductions and interest and penalties, et cetera, that come along with that. So the biggest thing you want to make sure is that they provide audit protection, right? That they stand behind the report and, you know, no extra charge, they will, you know, defend it and have, you know, a clean 100% record with doing that. So that's probably the most important thing. The, the second thing is, you know, for a lot of people, especially nowadays, we want the speed of communication is really, really important. In fact, I just got off the call with someone this morning who you know, runs a management company and they were dealing with a different conservation company and they just didn't have that speed of communication. And he was like, I just need someone that can respond to me and, and you know, can get me the reports and also just be responsive. And so that's something in any, and I think that goes with any vendor, right? I mean, you want to make sure you just, you're running a business, right? You want to make sure things are running smoothly. So um, I think that's a really important thing as well. Besides for that, I mean, fees, prices are pretty much, you know, they're, they're going to fluctuate between different providers, but um, it's always going to be a flat fee. Never go with someone who's going to charge you a percentage of your tax savings. Not only is that frowned upon, but it's actually, almost, it's not illegal, but it's actually, uh, it's pretty much so. I mean, the IRS is going to have a, a field day if you end up doing that, right? Because again, you're not a real third party. If you're taking a percentage, you're going to come up with more deductions than possible to get paid more. Um, so always go with a company that's charging you a flat fee based on uh, you know size and type of property. And that's the great thing about Costig as well is you may buy a property for a million dollars or ten million dollars, but the fee is going to be the same. So the benefit is pretty much going to be 
um, you know, so much greater, the, the more expensive the property is. Got a uh, question that came in um, on my apartment complex, 18 units. Is it considered to be residential? Because I've got it uh, on a legal or investment standpoint, it's considered commercial. <clears throat> so how, I guess he's asking how it would be classified for cost segregation. Correct. Yeah. So from a, a legal and from a mortgage standpoint, they consider anything over four units as a commercial property. Uh, but for uh, IRS and for depreciation purposes, multifamily is considered residential. So anywhere that anyone lives, doesn't matter if it's a 300 unit building, even though you would consider that a commercial property, the IRS consider it for depreciation purposes, 27 and a half year um, depreciation. Although really interesting kind of flip side of that is we we're talking about short-term rentals before, even though that may be a single family house, it's actually on a 39 year schedule because the IRS treats it like a commercial, like a hotel, uh, which is going to be more commercial. So that's a, a little kind of flip side of that. So there we go. If um, if I was relying on say my CPA or even myself, I might even put myself on a 39 and a half year schedule when I could have got the study done and then uh, use the professionals and, and um, you know, we, Oh, but there we go. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> that 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 is confusing. If um, it, it's, you're you're able to take advantage of residential, but at the same time it's classified as commercial. So that's uh, that's a great question that was, just came in. Uh, very cool. Um, so if you were if you were in a position where you had to start all over, what would you tell yourself? Start all over. Wow. Um, what I tell myself: find mentors quicker right? Find people who have been in the business faster and just be a sponge, you know, um, take in as much as you can. And that's really the way that I've grown probably more than anything else. That's huge. Yeah. Get in the right rooms, get the, uh, that's everything. Your, your peers, everybody can push each other. Um, what would be one of the biggest lessons you've learned in your real estate career? Um, the big, probably one of the biggest lessons besides for finding mentors is, this is a long-term, right? You have to have a long-term outlook, right? Do not think about something, getting a quick fix. Uh, focus on the long-term, focus on building relationships because real estate, like many businesses, but real estate specifically is a people business and it's a relationship-based business. And so building that strong network is going to actually get you much further. And, you know, things could take, you know, two, three, five, 10 years, but the, the power of that, you know, compounding of just you know having that patience and just putting in the efforts over and over and over and building those relationships is really going to pay back you know huge amounts. Yeah, awesome. Cool. How can people get a hold of you, Yona? Well, I mean, I'm on all the socials. So if you are watching this live, wherever you're watching it live, you can find me there on that platform. <laughs> um, wherever you're watching, I'm very active on LinkedIn, very active on uh, on Twitter now on the Retweet uh, community over there. Uh, or you can go to our website, uh, Madison Specs, or my personal website, yonaweiss.com, and you can check out our podcast, uh, Weiss Advice, over there. Cool. Yep. We'll have all of your information as we uh, we post this out as well. Um, ton of information shared, a lot of nuggets taken away. Truly appreciate you coming on today, and I've, as always, look forward to following you. Appreciate your time. My pleasure, Josh. Thanks so much for having me. All right.